Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. I'm fired up because I have with me today Matt Gagnon. He is the founder of Life Story Coaching. He calls himself a mindset coach, but I know that he is way more than that. And we're going to dig into all that and a lot more, including being buried in the snow so deep on the East Coast right now that he cannot do much or go anywhere because of where he's at. So with that, welcome Matt to the Excellence Mindset Podcast, buddy. What's up, bud? It's good to be here. Thank you. So how's it going out there? It's a bit frigid. <laughs> um, but it's, it's actually quite nice right now. It's, uh, it was like in the 40s today. So we've had a nice warm day and it's melting all the snow. We're going into mud season here. Um, but literally, I mean, last night we got another like several inches of snow. It's been coming down by the foot. Like I spent my whole life in Maine except for 12 years I've spent living in Austin, Texas. Um, and my wife too, but I, I haven't seen a winter like this in a while, like uh, just relentless snow. And so, uh, it's been a wild ride, man. Um, it's definitely been a wild ride, especially like with running a business, relying on having internet and cell phone, you know, reception. And those are like the two things I can't find. Yeah. Um, and so it's been, it's been a challenge. We've been in Maine since July and we spent the first three months in an RV um, living on a campsite, and that was really cool. And then since September, October, we moved out into this cabin out in the woods, which is about about 20 minutes from where I grew up and went to high school. But this cabin actually belonged to a really dear friend of mine uh, that I also went to high school with, and it belonged to his family. So staying in it is really cool. And um, it's it's been an interesting thing coming back home for this chapter of life. We'll be here probably till May. Okay. Okay, so um, I want to get into that for a minute. So you grew up in Maine, you moved to Texas for 12 years, and then you decide that you want to move from what everybody seems to think is the great state of Texas. Um, Pretty good weather, reasonably humid, so maybe that's not always awesome for everybody. And then you go back to Maine, like what the heck were you thinking in going back to Maine? Let's reel it in there a little bit, bud. Um, there's a, there's a lot. Now, now the, the thing is I still have a house in Texas. I still have a house in Austin. Okay. And um, it, we, what we decided was is that uh, we thought about traveling every single day of our lives pretty much. Like what would it be like to travel? What would it be like to be more mobile? What would it be like to have less stuff? And there was a chapter in our lives too, not, not very long ago, about four years ago, where I was on disability. I was really sick. I was just leaving a six-figure job that I had for that I a career that I had known for 15 years in the corporate world of retail. And uh, I had lost my dad. We had a an infant son. We all of a sudden, it's like everything was falling apart, and uh, we fell six months behind at one point in our mortgage. I mean, we were really struggling. I was really sick. And just couldn't function properly anymore. And I had to start a new business, basically. I mean, I had a doctor that said I was unemployable because a lot of what I had was also impacting my mental wellness. And I was difficult to deal with. He's like, dude, you shouldn't work for anybody. (laughs) Um, But I could work for me. I could manage me all right for the most part. And so that's a longer story. But I was able to navigate through that with a lot of help, a lot of faith, and a lot of support from a lot of people. And uh, and then once I started getting better, my business was taken off. It was like, man, if we can overcome that, like we can do anything. Like that's what really faith proved to us too. Like, man, when you have faith, it's just like anything's possible. Once you surrender your logical thoughts, that was the biggest thing was like, we got to let go of all of our logical thinking. That's when everything became possible because the fact that we were able to overcome that first chapter didn't make any logical sense. We should have lost our house. We should have lost a lot of stuff, but we didn't. We made it. And so I was like, all right, let's roll with this. And so we decided, you know, my wife actually was the one that had the idea. My wife, Nikki, she was the one that said, look, like, we just need to pack it up. We, let's lease or sell the house. Let's get rid of our stuff. And I was like, all right, I'm being the planner that I am. I wanted to plan it all out and stuff. And next thing I know, there are packers in our house. I show up one day and there are people packing our stuff up. I'm like, what's going? She's like, 
coming with me or not? And I was like, all right. We didn't know where we're going yet, but she was smart. She hired Packers and it got the ball rolling. And once that ball started rolling, it was unstoppable. It was like, all right, let's do this. We didn't have to have it all figured out. We said, we're going we're gonna to get rid of this house. We're no longer to be held hostage to our stuff. We're no longer going to be held hostage to a mortgage. Let's either sell it or like lease it out and let someone else buy us a house. Let's do it. And let's travel. Let's figure out what that's like. Because every single memory that we have where life was great and almost every memory that my clients go to when they talk about a more fulfilling time in life is when they had less stuff and it was simpler. I'm like, let's do that. Let's do that. We don't need all this stuff. We don't need all this crap anymore, you know? And so uh, we just started clearing everything out, you know? And it was kind of like the whole tidying up theme. Like if it didn't bring you joy, you got rid of it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that was the point. And it was hard for me to get rid of some stuff because I was emotionally attached to a lot of things, especially if it had ties to my dad or family. I was like, all right, this is tough. Um, but I learned to, and I was like, I'm just keeping the stuff that is the most memorable to me. The vinyl record collection, super, super val- you know, important to me. It had a lot of sentimental, a lot of value, um, but also something I want to leave to my son. Musical instruments brought me a lot of joy. Those are things I want to keep with me. And then just family heirlooms and treasure, you know, just like stuff that we gathered as a family. So yeah, literally we used a guest room in our house as a template for an offsite storage. It was like 10 by 10. If it fit in that room, we would keep it. If it didn't, out. All the furniture, gone. You know, all of it, gone. Get it out of here. Um, we kept the piano. We have a stand-up piano that stays in the house. It's part of the lease. You want to lease that house? <laughs> Guess what? It comes with piano. I'm not getting rid of it. You know, and so... um it worked out. Like we decided we would lease it. We live in a desirable market, great house, great place. People wanted to lease it. And we could, we could probably, you know, at least pay the mortgage and maybe, maybe make a little money. And so uh, we said, all right, that's it. Let's figure it out. And we still didn't know where we were going. We had to be out of the house by, uh, by like July, the end of June. And we're like, we don't know where we're going yet, but we'll figure it out. We knew we wanted to get up to Maine because we got family here. We have a support system. It was the first journey of the, the first leg of the journey, you know, and it was the one place I didn't really want to go either. You know, I've got, I've got, you know, some family stuff up here. It was just a lot of stuff and a lot of energy that I just didn't want to deal with, yep. you know, and, uh, but for some reason, God was telling me like, that's where I want you to go though. I was like, man, come on. Like, I don't want to, but <laughs> all the but doors there. opened up to come here. And so, yeah. And he said, no, nah, that's exactly where you're going. So uh, we did it. And so, even so, getting the RV, like, that wasn't easy either. So rewind. So go back to, you said that at one point you became disabled, you were losing your job. And so how long ago was that? First of all, how many years ago? Uh, that was uh, April 10th, 2015. April 10th, 2015. Okay. So 2015, uh, you are... Uh, you're struggling and I've got to imagine, and I say, I've got to imagine partially because, uh, you know, I, I, I share in some of this in the sense of, we actually did go through a, a significantly difficult, particularly financial time in 2013. Yeah. We had to short sell our house. And I know for me as the man of the house, as the leader of my family with yeah. a wife and two kids, like the, 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 punch to the prideful gut that I had was just brutal. Like it was so hard for me to even accept the fact, even when I say it sometimes now, I try and like kind of sugarcoat the story when in reality, like it, it was, mine was, was self-induced. Like it was a lot of things that I did way, way earlier, many years earlier that finally can, that finally Mm -hmm. just blew up. But for you, like how do you, and, and for people that are going to see you, because we're doing video here too, like they're going to see you're a big, strong dude. I've, I've seen you speak and <laughs> flex for them right now. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not doing um, and, so, and so I know that you are a strong leader and, and I'm sure that, that there had to be some struggle there. So how do you deal with that as, as the man of the house, as the leader? Like how, how do you step through those things? You, uh, you learn to surrender. Hmm. Like you learn to let go, like all that pride, that ego, uh, that was me doing things in my own strength. And I was white knuckling through life and that wasn't serving me. Hmm. And so I had to learn how to let 
go and ask help really surrender because I was powerless. It was a really tough time. Um, I had to, uh, I had to learn how to let go of relationships too. Um, people that were no longer healthy for me. I had to learn how to stop convincing people of what I was going through that didn't want to believe because I still looked like this. I, I looked healthy. Um, everything that I was going through was really underneath and it attacked a lot of my mental well-being. So I'd lash out and I, I would either get really angry or I'd start crying. Uh, it, it evoked severe depression at times. Uh, it sucked out all of my energy. And so uh, it was really challenging. And even people who did believe in and knew what was going on, it was still hard to see. It was still hard to be like, you sure you're not just being, you know, a complete a-hole right now? You're not being lazy? I'm like, I know, <laughs> you know, um, it, it brought out a lot of the, the worst in me. And so that was really tough. It was tough to watch it because I could see it happening from the inside of my head. Like it was looking through a one-way mirror and I'd see myself lashing out. I'm like, don't do that. Like you're hurting people you love, you know, or these people are trying to help you. And it distorted my reality in so many ways. So it was really, really challenging to go through that. And the thing is too, is like, I'm not a victim in that. Like I know I made myself sick also from the sins of my youth, years of just running myself into the ground. Um, years of living by other people's values, drinking 15 cans of Red Bull a day in my 20s, not sleeping, you know, uh, lots of Adderall in my youth. You know, I did this to myself. Uh, but God used it as an opportunity to show me like how incredible he is in my faith. So I think that was really the turning point was just laying in bed and not asking the question, why is this happening? But asking the question of what are you trying to teach me? And it was that voice of saying, well, how else was I going to get in? How else was I going to get you to listen? <laughs> I was always moving all the time. And so now I couldn't move. And I'm really lucky that I had the support system that I had. Because um, the toxic relationships that I had in my life, when I learned to let them go and stop hanging on to them, all of a sudden I had a vacancy in my life for new people to show up. New people that aligned with my values. And new people that aligned with my journey. And it's scary to do that. No matter what chapter you're in in your life, if you have to let go of toxic relationships, it's hard to let go of it because they're still familiar. You still know what to expect. It's, it's almost safer than going into the unknown of being alone, you know? But that, that loneliness period it taught me how to be with myself, you know? Again, there were so many beautiful lessons that came out of this journey through adversity that it was really about fear, just overcoming crippling fear. And it really wasn't that scary once I started to face it before it. And it's preparing me for other stuff too, but it's, it's strengthened my family. Um, you know, I've been really blessed with an incredible support system, but the friends that I have in my life now are just absolutely amazing. And so I, I don't think I would have them. I wouldn't have them if it wasn't for this. And I don't think I'd have the business that I have if it wasn't for this experience. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's, that's, that's powerful. And I mean, I appreciate you saying that I mean, for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think that, you know, those are things that people need to go through and that people do go through. And I think that oftentimes, you know, outside of, uh, I will say, you know, outside of faith in God, it can feel absolutely hopeless. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that even uh, for me, and it was uh, many years after that struggle for myself, and I went on to other ones. Uh, and even at times, you know, like, I, I think that's one of the big struggles that I've had as a Christian dealing with big, big challenges and tragedy in my life was sometimes that almost feels worse because there is this mm. sense of like, I'm supposed to feel secure and I'm supposed to be cared for and loved and God is so big and these problems are so small and you know all the narrative out there is just have faith and believe and pray and it's going to all be better <laughs> and I'm like there is no dang way it's going to get better right and so it can feel it, like it feels like it just squashes you right like you're just constricted yeah and you know there was some annoying points to it at times too where you know I had some really strong friends of faith and all they wanted to do was just preach scripture to me sometimes. And I'm like, yeah. thanks. You know, like 
And I was just like, you know, and I couldn't utter one word if I said anything about my illness. You can't speak like that. It's, you know, you have to speak, you know, truth. And, and I'm like, but I am sick. You know, I have, <laughs> it, was, it was hard to wrestle with, but I had to surround myself with people that not only spoke scripture to me, but also would help me learn how to apply it into my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like how to actually make it applicable, you know, not just say words, you know, like I needed people to just be with me. You didn't have to say anything. Just be with me. You know, I'm struggling. I don't have the answers right now, you know? And sometimes I was even harder having to explain it to people. And I just learned I didn't have to explain myself to anybody anymore. I just needed people in my life that would be with me even if they didn't get it, you know? And so that was hard to find, but uh, I was relentless in that pursuit. And, uh, you know, my, my wife was probably, she was the number one supporter. You know, she had to live with it you know, all the time. And that was not easy, you know? And so she carried it all the weight for quite a while there. Um, and that was no easy task, but, but yeah, no, that the faith part was definitely challenging me also because, you know, it was a journey in that, but it was my journey of faith. And, uh, and it was a point where I finally realized that no matter what, I'll always be okay. Like that was it. I was just like, no matter what, I'll be okay. Like if we lose the house, we won't be homeless. Like, we know people we've got, won't be ideal. We'll never be homeless. We'll be all right. Like we'll just lose stuff, you know, but I had all these things on my list of things I wouldn't surrender, like not going to get rid of the house, not getting rid of my Jeep, those things I have to have. And it's like, we finally got to a point where I was willing to let go of those things too. All right. If I have to sell the Jeep, I'll sell the Jeep. If I got to sell the house, I'll sell the house. If that's what you want, I'll do it. And I remember it came down to the Jeep. It was funny. My wife and I both had ideas about getting rid of our Jeep. At the same time, but separately, you know, we both approached them. Maybe we should get rid of the Jeep. I was, like, I was thinking of getting rid of the Jeep too. And, uh, and that was a tough thing. For some reason, I'm really attached to that thing, you know. And um, we start, the next day, we were going to go to the dealership and look at getting rid of it. And the weirdest thing happened was we both separately had the same feeling of like, I don't think we're supposed to sell it. Like, this doesn't feel like a weird possession thing. It's like, it, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. And the words that I remember hearing was like, you know, just hearing, you know, God talking to me and just saying like, I didn't tell you, don't sell the Jeep. I didn't tell you to sell the Jeep. I just didn't want you to hold it over me. Hey, thanks for letting it go though. I'm like, well played, you know, <laughs> but it, well played, sir. You know, and so all these amazing things happened out. It was the same thing with the house, you know, the house defined my success. It defined you know, my ego, my pride. I had emotional ties to it. It was the last place I saw my dad when he was alive. He came to visit me there. He said he was proud of me, you know, for having that place, you know, so I had all these ties to it. And so, uh, but I had to let that go too. But luckily it's still, I still have it, you know, it's great, you know? So all these things ended up working out in their own way. And I'm really grateful for, look, like my mom ended up coming down from Maine to spend a year with us in Texas. And, and, and she's not a person of faith, but her trip down there got her plugged into our church. She didn't get baptized while she was there. Wow. I mean, if me getting sick was the reason for her to come down so she could have a closer relationship in faith again, I was like, well played. Like yeah. that was worth getting sick for, you know? So she has a whole new relationship with faith that she didn't have before. Like, so holy cow, man, like, wow. there's a lot of crazy stuff. And this is just the tip of the iceberg that's come out of this, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, one of those other things, right, was you got to start a business. Holy smokes. I did, you know, and like I was halfway through coaching school when I got sick, you know, and I finally pulled the plug like because April 10th of 2015 was the defining moment where I'm sitting in the parking lot of my doctor's office. I'd been diagnosed with more crap and I had a chance to take more pills. And I was like, what if it's the job? What if it's the lifestyle? What if I'm white knuckling through this just because I'm really good at this job? doesn't mean I'm supposed to do it, you know? So that's when I made that phone call to HR in the parking lot. I talk about this in the book I just co-authored, Coach Wisdom, about that journey where I was like, I just made the call and said, I'm not, I'm not coming to work next week. Like I'm going, on, I'm going on medical leave. And it was like I was on autopilot. I was like watching it in third person. I was like, and after that, I really don't remember the conversation. Like all I remember was that was like, it was so hard to say that. And then once I hung up the phone, I was like, that's it. I don't think there's ever, there's no turning back now. I can't undo this, but I I was in a rough place. And so that kicked off the journey right there, man. And then, so the coaching part was now like 
how do I build this business but still focus on my health? I was used to, I've always been that way as an athlete, as an employee, like I wasn't the strongest, I wasn't the most talented, I wasn't the fastest, but man, I could out hustle you, I could outwork you, I will do it till I puke or pass out, it's not happening, like you won't knock me down. I mean, like there was a reason why I was a 150 pound offensive guard in football. Like, and I started varsity and I was like up for all conference, man. I was not going to be told I was too small. Yeah. You know, I was a human battering ram and I was good at it. <laughs> Give me a little praise and that's all I need. But, um, but this was different, man. Like coaching was the first thing that I felt like I belonged in. Like I was good. Like I felt like, wow, like I'm the all, I'm the all-star student here. Like I feel this felt like a natural gift. And I was like, this is what it feels like. This is amazing. But I knew what I could do and I knew what my gift was, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't afford to do it full time. I was like, well, this is just a cruel joke. You know, it was better when I didn't know. And so when I got sick, I didn't have any money. And all I was doing, I was already coaching people nights and weekends because I had this philosophy in my head. Like I was like, all right, I know I can do this. I need to coach. That's all I got to do. So I coach nights and weekends when I was still working in my retail gig, whatever I had to do. My peers, a lot of people were sitting there thinking like, once I get business cards, once I get a website, once I have an LL certification, then I'll start charging. I was like, screw that. I'm starting right now. You know, <laughs> I didn't need anything. I didn't have business cards for like the first year I started. I just, I didn't think of a crazy name for my business. I knew I could serve other people. I knew I could do that. I could serve as long as you genuinely cared about the other person on the other side of the phone call or the table, you can't screw it up, you know? And so I would be with people and I would serve them. I used the skills that I learned in my certification program at the Coaches Training Institute paired with my life experiences. That was the important part. Taking my raw God-given talent and harnessing it with a great program and a certification process that helped me learn how to better serve people versus just using raw life experiences. This helped me harness it. And so it was a year long program. It was expensive. I invested some good money into this program that I didn't have. This was like a $15,000 program that I did for over a year. And I've got the last stretch to go, the certification process. It's another five grand, you know, to finish certification. Now I'm sick. I've just finished the courses and it's like, holy cow. What I realized is I've got no money in my pocket to do anything except pay bills and I can barely do that. And so I'm like, everything I got to do is got to be free. It's time to be resourceful. Grassroots marketing, baby. Let's do this. I pulled that from my experience in my corporate days though. I knew that stuff. So I learned how to ask for help. And the first thing I did was I made a list of 20 people. It was like 20 or 30 people. I just wrote down their names on a piece of paper. I still have it. And these were people that pretty much lived locally in my community, but I didn't know who, I didn't know them very well, but I respected them and I wanted to learn more about them because I had no sense of community. I was always traveling, 25 nights a month usually, gone. So no sense of community. So I wrote down all these names. I wrote down some people that I knew from LinkedIn. I knew some people from my coaching school and I just sent out a ton of emails to everybody. I sent out an email just said, hey, I'm fascinated with your background. I really respect you. I'd love to get to know you more. Could we have coffee or a phone call? And all I want to do is just hear your story. I don't want anything from you. I just want to hear your story. You got 15 minutes. People were really intrigued by them. And some of them, it really freaked them out. They're like, what do you want? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, nothing. I just want to hear your story. And they're like, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. And so it opened up a lot of stuff. But when I did that, man, it opened up all these doorways that I never saw possible. And one of them, Tammy Hebler with the Coaches Training Institute, she was my program advisor, got on the call with her and she heard about my LinkedIn experience and that I already had a really solid foundation with LinkedIn and networking and I'd done that in my corporate days and she said, you know what, we could use some help with that. We need some help recruiting for the Austin market for the, for the fundamentals, the, the starter course wow. for our program. She said, if you can dedicate 10 hours a week to helping us recruit with that, we'll pay for your certification. And I wow. was like, I get to do talk about the thing I already love already and recruit people. Yeah, I'm in. And I also was able to negotiate that I would be a volunteer for every course too. So every time there was another course in the area, I would be an assistant. It's a volunteer position, but basically you get to assist for another three day 
class, it's a thousand bucks. Meet new students, get retrained again. So I immersed myself in this world, yeah. you know, and I couldn't work. I couldn't do what I was used to doing. I couldn't work hard. I had to work smart. I didn't have the energy anymore to work hard. I couldn't go back to that. I was like, man, this is frustrating. But to learn how to work really smart, and instead of working harder, I learned volunteering again. I used to love volunteering. I had done it in years. You know, I got plugged into a church, you know, that I really liked. And I started also volunteering with the children's ministry because I didn't know anything about the Bible. So I was like, all right, well, you know what? I'll learn with the kids. That's cool. You know, so I did that. And uh, I started connecting with uh, men's groups. I didn't have any male friends. You know, I didn't have any friends, really. You know, I started spending more time with my family. I started focusing on health. You know, so all of these things, I started playing my music again, playing my guitar. You know, so all of these things were really fueling me. So the time I did spend working was way more efficient because I was running on a full tank as best as I possibly could at that time. Yeah. You know, and so it was a really messy journey. But the point was, is that I just didn't see it. It didn't make sense to spend all this money on my business until I could actually articulate what I do. Like, if you don't know exactly what you're doing, or if you can't answer the question, what do you do in, in a way that makes people intrigued, then what are you doing spending all this money on your business for? Why are you buying premium packages on social media? Why are you doing paid ads? Why are you spending all this money on marketing? If you can't answer the simple damn question of what do you do, right. you know, to this person standing at Starbucks, you know, to just some random stranger. So I forced myself to be in as many situations as possible in the beginning where people would ask me that stupid question, what do you do? And I hated that question. I, didn't, I babbled all that. I help people, you know, and their eyes would glaze over, you know, and I did it over and over and over again until it just felt like natural, not a sales pitch, but it felt like a conversation. This is my life purpose, man. I got to treat it that way. I got to honor it that way. Mm -hmm. And so that was the that was the grassroots stuff, man. I had a LinkedIn page, I had a good following, and I had a purpose. And so I was relentless on that, man. And I spent a lot of time doing other things that would better myself than than other than just my work. Because but I'd done that for I already know that path. Like my work used to determine my perform my performance used to determine my value in life. So as long as I was doing well at work, I felt like I was on top of the world. Can't have that, man. That's like investing in one stock. You know, as long as that stock does well, you feel great. If it goes, if it goes downhill, you feel like you're losing everything. I need multiple streams. You know how like millionaires and people, successful people have multiple streams of revenue pouring into their lives? I need multiple streams of values pouring into my life. It can't just be work. I need work, family, faith, friends, my own health. You know, I got to take care of those things. Multiple streams. So if one gets cut off, I still got others pouring into me. I'm still strong. You know, so that's been the secret. And that's how I help people overcome fear now because fear is what's crippling. Fear cripples people and fear disguises itself as logic sometimes. I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have resources. I don't have the education, all that crap. It makes sense on paper, but I guarantee if we start eliminating those things, you'll still be afraid, you know, so fear. And so I help people overcome crippling fear so that they can actually regain you know, control of their lives and start living that life they've always wanted to. And I try and do that by focusing on helping people align their lives with their values. Let's rediscover who you are. So at this point, I and everybody listening can already imagine, but for, for the sake of conversation, a couple of things. So as you coach people, how do you vet or how do you determine whether or not you're going to work with somebody? Like how much do they have to be bought into that desire? Uh, or are you willing to just say like, you know what, even if you have this little glimmer of hope inside of you, I'll do all the charging up necessary in the beginning and I'll work you into it. Oh, great question, man. Like this is really, really near and dear to my heart. Um, when, in the beginning when I was broke, it was very, I made a commitment to myself that I would not build my business out of desperation because you can feel that. You can feel it. People can feel it. And you make bad choices. Sometimes accepting any client who will pay you will cost you a lot more than it pays you. And so I made that commitment to myself. And I've made a couple mistakes along the way, but I, 
I made a commitment. I will not build this business out of desperation. I will stick to my values. I'll stick to my value that I offer people. And I'm not going to discount myself all the time. Um, so matter of fact, I think the toughest, uh, and that was, a, I was in Irvine, California when that happened, uh, about three and a half years ago, I was at hotel Irvine. I was doing my first big speech about LinkedIn in for the business club Academy by Adam Flores. And, uh, and I remember sitting there, I was healthy enough to make that trip. And I remember thinking like, I love this so much. I want to do this all the time. Like, but I remember telling God, I was like, I can't afford like I don't have the energy and capacity to coach enough people to pay my bills. And all he said was raise your rates. And I was like, but people will say no. He said, I didn't ask for your opinion. I said, raise your rates. <laughs> I was like, why do you always, you love doing this to me. And so like, I like tripled my rates and just on the spot, I wrote it on paper and I crossed a bunch of numbers out and I kept lowering it. And then I decided I'm going back to the first number that I wrote down. You have to pick a number that makes you want to throw up in your mouth. Yeah. You know, and so I was uncomfortable with it and I got one person to say yes to it. I was like, holy crap, you know, <laughs> it works, it works, it works. <laughs> so what happened, here's how I do things. I believe in farming and not hunting when it comes to clients. Like I love attraction style marketing. Yeah. I put stuff out there. I'm giving stuff away. I'm sharing who I am and I'm sharing real stories. I'm leading by example and testimony. And for the people that that lights up, and the people who gravitate towards that, those are my people. So typically, I work with, you know, highly successful people, you know, entrepreneurs, executives, you know, people who've had proven results in their career, but all of a sudden, they're reaching this point of burnout, and they're asking questions. Why have I missed so many life events? You know, why, why am I doing this? You know, I'm not full. I'm not getting the high from it anymore. I'm not getting the buzz. But I see what you're doing, man, and I want some of that. I want that, but I, I'm, I'm too scared to get it. I don't know how, you know, the people who are asking questions, those are my people. And so it starts like this. I don't typically have a call to action with my stuff, with my posts. I'm usually just sharing stuff. 10% of the time I might say, Hey, contact me. But hundred percent of my business is word of mouth and referral. I don't pay for marketing. I don't pay for any advertising. Uh -huh. um, and I don't have a finished website. It's been my LinkedIn and social media that's helped. And so I put a post out there and all of a sudden I get a response back that says, man, that really connected with me. That really resonated with me. And I'm like, perfect. Here's my calendar. Let's talk. Let's see where that goes from there. And look, if, if they want to do the work, I'm not going to just sit there and just discount my rate right off the bat. If they say they can't afford it, not happening. You know, like if you really want to find a way, you'll come back and you'll tell me. I leave three spots on my roster for people who can't afford it at any given time. I work with people for a minimum of six months. It's two sessions a month. So it's a total of 13 sessions over six months. Um, there's two, three sessions a month, one. But at any given time, I'll take on three people who can't afford it. And they have to pick a price that stretches them but doesn't stress them. Oh. And that's such an important number. Stretch, not stress. I will not choose that number. You have to choose that number. Oh. And I really got to be amped up to work with you. And you got to be amped up to work with me. Like I'm feeling it. And it's usually a message I'm hearing like, don't let money be the reason you don't work together with this person. I'm like, yes, all right. Because if someone didn't do that for me a few years ago, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. So that's my threshold. I have to have a threshold. And I tell that to everybody. If you're going to have a program that gives back, have a threshold. Know what you can afford. And, you know, because if I didn't have a threshold, I'd do it for everybody, you know, but I still got to pay my bills, yeah. you know, so and I still have to have a value in what I do. So this process is fun. And I love it because this, I tell the person, here's my full rates. This is what I charge. You know, and I can't assume that they can't afford that, but they got to tell me they can't, yep. you know, I hold them in that respect. And then if they really want to do this, I'll put that proposal out there. You yeah. choose a number, not now, go home, look at your budget, no quick sales. I will not take a closed sale with anybody on the first talk, not happening. I don't care if you say, I want to pay you. Here's a checkbook right now. Nope. Anyone can make an emotional decision. That's like leaving a great movie and leaving like a superhero movie and feeling all amped up right afterwards. But like four days later, it's a different story. Yeah. I want to talk. That's why I tell people I'm like, all right, contact me in a few days. Let's set it up on the calendar. If you're still excited to work with me, like in a few days, you're the type of person I want to work with. Yeah. That's the type of person I want to work with. So 
in my twenties, I was an aggressive salesperson. Not anymore. I'm not a shark with that stuff. No, I, I want to work with people who really, really want this because if you don't do the work, I'll fire you as a client. Like we're not, it's just not time. I don't want to just collect a paycheck. This is my life purpose, man. Yeah. I only work with 15 people at any given time. So that could be someone else I could be serving. Yeah. So it's not personal. I'm going to fiercely love on you, but if it's not working right now, it's not working. Let's not do it. So and, and it's that's, so hard I hope too, that right? answers the question, but it's, it's really process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's so hard too, right? Because you know that by the time they get to you, you can help almost anybody, right? I mean, th there's definitely, you know, some, some outliers there, but you can help almost anybody. Mm -hmm. So having to let people go that, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can help. And maybe they say it's for another reason and it's really just an excuse to say they can't afford it. Or maybe they can't afford it. Or maybe they're just too pompous or prideful or whatever. Maybe they don't have their life together enough to just schedule calls. Yeah. It's so hard to let people go when you know that you can help them out. It's like it's, like it's right there, right? Like just one more step and your whole life is going to change, you know? And it's just, it, it, it's such a shame. And I've watched that happen multiple times in my own career. And it just, it breaks my heart. Like I literally want to like cry for people, you know? Yeah. But then it's gotten easier because I think of my own journey and you can't, you can't talk someone into it. You know, I can't convince them. They got to want it. And so I'm patient. And I know, uh, and I'm just like, it's not time and that's okay. I'll be ready when you are. So it's all right. It's not saying goodbye forever. It's just like, this is on pause for right now. You're not, your journey's not done. You got, you got some more journey to do. You got some more work to do on yourself first. And sometimes people have come back a year later and said, I'm ready. Yeah. Let's do this. And I'm so glad that I didn't try and force it before. I'm smart. I'm a great salesperson. I could talk someone into it. I don't want to do that anymore. That's manipulation. I, I can't do that now. I have to let people take their own journey. And it is hard sometimes, but I'm learning to be patient. I have faith in this. It's not my control. You know, I'm like, all right, you're on your own journey right now. That's not mine to, to control. So, and look, I'm a coach. I don't, I'm not here to give advice. I'm not a consultant. You know, I'm going to hold you as a creative and resourceful person. If you say you're not ready yet, you're not ready. So, uh, I'm not going to rescue you, but I'll be ready when you want to do the work and we're going to do some killer stuff together. Okay. So earlier offline, uh, we were talking about the fact uh, that you, uh, you're speaking a lot about and you're helping people a lot with mindset. So mm -hmm. that um, uh, over the last few years, especially post Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, becoming just part of pop culture in some regard. Yeah. Uh, mindset has become a, a big topic of conversation. I mean, my nine-year-old is going through it in fourth grade and actually it's producing amazing results. But like uh, how, how many people are approaching you uh, asking for help with mindset um, versus not knowing that the majority of people you're going to help, you're going to end up helping with mindset anyway? Yeah, such a great on-trend word right now, mindset. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I really don't care what people call me as long as all I know is like, let's just get on the phone and I can start doing the work with you. Um, so whatever, whatever words work, I, I can do that. But, uh, but for mindset, like most of the people that approach me, it's really interesting. I don't even think they typically know exactly what they want. They approach me with this curiosity, like you're different. Like you, you've got this you got this rugged, like masculine look to you, but you also talk about vulnerability a lot too. You know, you're an odd combo, you know? And so, uh, and, and the stuff that I'm doing too, I'm also living, I'm also living what I talk, you know, I'm, 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 you know, practicing what I preach, you know, and I'm putting myself out there. So a lot of the people that I get come to me with this expectation of what it could be, what it should be. And uh, once they get into the first session or the first sample session, they're like, this isn't what I expected it to be, but I kind of want more of it. Huh. And so, yeah, it is the mindset piece. They want some reframing in how they do things because most of them come to me with this one perspective. I'm stuck, you know, a perspective. They would be able to do that. I'm trapped. My goal is to help give them more perspectives to help them create more perspectives than just that one. 
And we can look at what their solution, what their topic looks like through each one of those lenses, through each one of those perspectives. And now they're empowered with choice. Once they've been educated, they're empowered to make choice. They could choose to stay in stock if they want to, but they can't choose to be a victim now because they know they got other choices. And so my job as coach isn't to make sure you choose the, the choice of resonance. It's just to know that you have choice. And so, yeah, a lot of people are coming to me trying to figure a way forward, trying to find their own voice. A lot of these people have been silenced for many years. Like they've been told to play less than who they are because they might make other people feel insecure. You know, so be smaller, tone it down, be less of you. You're a bit too much sometimes. You're a little too intense, all of that stuff. No, I want you to hear your voice. Be loud, you know, be you, unapologetically you. Let's find out who you are and what you sound like. And so I love that when people can discover who they are, rediscover who they are. And so I remind people that I'm not an academic style coach. If you're looking for a five-step process to find your success or make your six-figure income, that's not me. <laughs> I'm not an academic style coach. I've come to grips with that. I'm heart-centered. Yeah. So when you're the type of person where you're tired of taking another behavioral assessment test and you're all Myers-Briggsed out, like come to me. I'll rip in your soul. And I'll show you who you are. Like, I will listen to you and I won't put you in a box, but I will pull stuff out of you from questions and listen to what you're not saying and listen to your body language and your energy that you're putting out there and I'll show it to you and say, this is what I'm seeing. You know, this is who you are. And that's where the magic happens, man. So again, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but that's what gets me fired up. And it's just, it's an interesting journey. Every person is just, comes to me kind of with this like little like squinted eye kind of look like what are you like what is this you know and yeah. so uh, I love the curiosity that's the number one rule of coaching man you got to be curious yeah well and I, I really appreciate you sharing that whole part of the story particularly connecting it to your own uh, story with having to overcome such you know great challenge I mean that's why we resonate back to it. I'm going to totally date myself for some people that are listening, but that's why we resonate with stories like Rudy, right? The underdog, yeah. you know, yes. overcoming things. And in reality, if you think about it, like every single one of us, the things that we really, really want out of life, most of us don't believe completely that we can achieve them. And, and, and it's because we fear that we don't have the knowledge gap or the wisdom or the yeah. experience. When, when you're able to inject into somebody your own heart and soul and draw their heart and soul out of them, I mean, then all of a sudden for the first time, they begin to believe that they can actually accomplish these things that they thought were crazy before, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? The moment other people start to think what you're doing is crazy is when you've made it. <laughs> you know, like you got to think outside the box. You got to have crazy ideas. Dream freaking big, man. The first client I ever had paid me $5 for 30 minutes of my time. It was the best five bucks I ever made in my entire life. <laughs> Someone paid me to do my dream. And I, I would have thought it'd be crazy. You know, and I was making a great salary at that time, but this guy paid me five bucks. That's all he could afford. But I loved it. Someone paid me five bucks to coach them. It was crazy. It's all I needed, man. If you would have told me that like a few years later, someone would write me a check for 10 grand to do the same thing, I would have said, you're insane. Yeah. And still to this day, I'm like, really? This is crazy. But I know I'm offering a value and, and I'm loving to see how it's transforming lives. I want to be able to do it and scale it in a way that I can serve more people than just one-on-one. -on -one. That's why I love speaking. That's why I want to do more group work. You know, I, I want to be able to touch an audience that can't afford those rates because I want to be able to offer this to people. I just want to serve as many people as I possibly can, man. You know, if I, if I can pay my bills and there's nothing evil about making money either, because yeah. if I can make money too, then I can serve more people with that also. You know, I'm past that selfish phase of my life. That's that part's over, man. Like I, I don't need any of the fancy toys anymore. Maybe some bigger tires on the Jeep. That'd be about it. But, um, <laughs> but other than that, like I, I just want to serve, you know, and so that's what I love doing. And so that's the thing, man. Who doesn't love a comeback story? Like yeah. seriously. Yeah. Who doesn't love those movies like Rudy, you know, Miracle? Like all that stuff, Rocky, like people love comeback stories. That's when I decided back when I was 30 and I had left a toxic job and I was 250 pounds at the time. I'm like 5'10", man, 250 is big. Yeah. And I was like in the weight room at like three in the morning lifting because I didn't want anyone to see me. I was ashamed of myself. Wow. And I just remember seeing a guy there one night who was like 400 something pounds at the same time as me doing the same thing as me. 
And he just told me that shame isn't a number on the scale, man. It's just how you feel. And so I was like, all right, that's it. I love comeback stories. Why can't I write my own? Mm. Like, why can't I? I can do that. So I started working out in the day. I started taking charge again. And I just believed in that ever since. It's never too late to write your own comeback story. And I had that same feeling the day I met my son, April 29, 2013. There he was. He had been through a tough birth. You know, and he, there he was, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I was just like, that's it, man. Like, I'm going to show this kid what it means to build something from the ground up and that it's never too late in life to go after your passion, man. And so that was the start for me, you know? And so I've gone through that process ever since. That's why I have that scripture in my headline, 1 Samuel 17, 48, man. Like it says, David ran towards Goliath. That's the essence of that. That's like the ultimate comeback story. It's the ultimate underdog, man. It starts there. Whether you're faith or not, what a cool story. Who runs towards a giant with no fans on either side of the field? I do, you know, and I have that courageous heart after the Lord behind my back who's got me on this, and I just run. It tells me what giants are in my life that I should be running towards. And I ask my clients the same thing. What are the giants in your life that you should be running towards, you know, or are you retreating? And so I love comeback stories. I love that metaphor. I take it with me in everything that I do. It's an identity that I step into. I love it, man. Definitely sounds as though that's an identity that you were created with. And I think that's what's <laughs> Thanks, so man. awesome. Thank you. So when you're not coaching, I know you're a, you just said it, but if, you follow, if anybody follows you on social media, we know that you're a proud daddy too. So uh, that, that's so cool to see that, you know, it's, it's not just about, you know, what you're telling other people to do, but you're leading by example and obviously influencing uh, that uh, a young man that will one day grow up to, you know, to have his own influence. And that's awesome. And you play music yeah. too, right? I, I've seen you doing some open mic nights again recently. Yeah, man. It's almost Wednesday. Uh, every Wednesday night. That's what keeps me going here in Maine. Like it fills my tanks. Go play open mic nights play some songs, play guitar. I just got my saxophone back today. It's been fully restored. It's the same one I've had since fifth grade. And so uh, I can't wait to bust that thing out again. I'm learning piano. Uh, vocals are probably my favorite thing on earth. I I'll sing till I'm blue in the face, man. I don't, I I'm not saying I'm any good at it. I just love doing it. It's for me. So um, it's a lot of fun, man. But those are things that fill my tank. If I spend that one Wednesday night a week, man, that, that I'm just a better human being. You know, it keeps me from ending up on the news, you know, or it's like, you know, I do that and uh, I always make time once a month to go to a men's group. You know, those are these little things, just these little things that can fuel your tank, man. These are values. If you know what your values are, you know what to fill your tanks with when they're empty. Music, connection, you know, faith. When you don't know what your values are and your tanks are empty, you will fill those tanks with stuff that doesn't belong there. And that's when we get in trouble. That's when people start drinking, they start buying, they get stuck into pornography, all of these things trying to get this quick buzz. When you find your values, man, that's long lasting, clean burning fuel, baby. And it, it runs for a long time. So yeah, I love that stuff. So music and my family, volunteering, you know, that stuff I just, I really, really love. Being outside, you know, it's great. That's sick, man. I mean, I, I, I appreciate, you know, I mean, <coughs> I don't even remember how we uh, got connected other than I know that it was through LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I've appreciated so many things uh, watching you from a distance and seeing the way that you carry yourself. Uh, and then obviously to Instagram where it gets a little bit more personal at least. And, you know, seeing that those things align so well. Uh, I love the fact that every single Sunday you're on social media asking whether or not people consider your God to be their God or not, that you're asking people if they need prayer and you're encouraging people to share that with you. And so I just love to see you being you because I think that more of you, you know, people like you are needed in this world. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been awesome to watch. So, I mean, I just can't tell you how much I thank you for, for being yourself and, uh, and putting yourself out there like that. It's, it's a pretty sick story. And, uh, we know that it's just the beginning. Thanks, bro. That means a lot, man. I really appreciate you for that. Thank you. Yep. Absolutely. So at this point, I think people are pretty convinced that they need to like pick up the phone or jump on the computer <laughs> and reach out to Matt. Um, so what are Call some of the... Now. 
<laughs> in his best radio voice. So, yes. uh, so what are what are some of the best ways? And we talked about LinkedIn is a good way to get get in contact with you. Is there anywhere else that you like people to go to follow you or to get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, it, here's the thing on LinkedIn. Uh, I get a bajillion messages on there, and I really love them, and I do the best I possibly can to respond to everybody. But um, I'm maxed out at thirty thousand connections on there right now, so. If you want to connect, send me a personal note with the invite, please. If you send a note with it and just say, hey, I heard the interview, loved, I will make room for you. I will delete an old contact to make room because no one sends notes. It's very, very rare. Mm -hmm. You send a note, I'm making room for you. Um, but the easiest way to get a hold of me, though, is shoot me an email, matt at lifestorycoaching.net. Matt at lifestorycoaching.net. Shoot me an email, I'll, I'll respond to you. Follow me on Instagram at lifestorycoaching. You know, I love, uh, I love messaging people on Instagram too. I don't have as big of a following there, but I love, you know, uh, I'm growing it slowly. I'm on Facebook too. It's Life Story Coaching. Um, so I'm all over the place. Find me under my name, Matt Gagnon on YouTube. I share every story I've got on there. I've got tons of videos um, about the journey in life and what, uh, and what we're working through. So uh, I'm incredibly um, approachable and I'm always grateful to talk to people. So please reach out. And if you call now, I'll throw in a free sample session. <laughs> and you're going to have to find him online because if you want yeah. to find him in person, you're going to have to dig through a whole crap ton of snow what? out in Maine. <laughs> That's right. I'm hanging out here with Waldo and Carmen San Diego, baby. Like, I'm out there. That's good. Well, again, thanks, Matt. I just I appreciate your time so much. I appreciate everything that you've shared today. You've given me a ton of value and a ton of encouragement. I can't wait to get on my next client call. Uh, I'm just gonna like just I'm gonna fire him up just because of you. So thanks, man. I just I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. It's been a blast. Back at you, my brother. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. you. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. As always, I'll make sure to put Matt's contact information in the show notes. If you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out to me as well. You can hop on iTunes, leave a review. I love them. I appreciate every bit of feedback you give. With that, take care. Get out there and crush it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.